0: Good day, listeners. Hope everyone is doing well. Today I'm going to bounce around a little bit, talk about a few different things that I want to uh, not only um, dive into, but I guess just kind of get off my chest and uh, evaluate a little bit. Oh, one thing I I wanted to talk about that I actually put out, a a story that I found uh, on the... uh, on the company, uh, social media platforms. And it was just a story that talks about how there's really no money in podcasts. And just to explain a little bit more, I'm not saying that, you know, people can't make money on it. I'm sure, uh, some people do. I know there's a lot of people with big names that do like Joe Rogan. And I don't know, that's really one of the ones that come to mind. I'm sure there's more out there with successful podcasts, a lot of advertisers, things like that. But for the adger, average person, such as myself, looking to start a podcast, it's really not, you know, something for a revenue stream. I mean, put it this way, if one of my kids came to me and said, uh, Dad, I'm going to stop working and just, you know, do a podcast for a living, that's not going to fly. I mean, that's just, it's not going to cut it. They're not going to make a living doing a podcast. So you got to do it because you want to, you know, if you got something to say. Um, you're passionate about something, you want to talk about something, and you just want to connect with people, it's really a a great platform for that. But if you rely on it, and if you're looking to make money on it, you know, it's extremely hard. I mean, last I looked, I think they said the statistics was there's over like 900,000 podcasts. So just think about that. Out of all those podcasts, how many of those people are making a living just from doing a podcast? Uh, I know people even in radio that are on stations, uh, you know, they'll make a salary, but it's not like you're going to, you know, it's it's hard to break into that arena on every on every level. It's a tough arena to break on, into. And if you're doing a podcast where it's just something that, you know, nobody's paying you for, you're just deciding to speak into a microphone and get your thoughts across, it's not really a moneymaker. So with that said, on my end anyway, that's the last reason why I wanted to start a podcast. Um, I had no delusions and no expectations uh, as far as financially that I wouldn't, you know, bring anything in. And that's not what I'm doing here. That's why, you know, you're not going to see ads in between the uh, podcasts. You're not going to, it's not monetized in any way. There's no um, advertisements. If I recommend something or I want to talk about something has zero to do a pay. Nobody's paying me for it. It's because it's, I'm just making an honest recommendation or something. I just, you know, if I'm recommending somebody, it's just for uh, my personal view and my personal feelings on that, you know, individual's quality of work or w- whatever it may be. And I'm going to get into that a little later because I'm actually going to talk about, um, uh, you know, lawyers that, a lawyer that I deal with that I would recommend and Uh, Because I do get a lot of emails on that, and then I respond to the email. You know, uh, I get a lot of uh, listeners who would ask me. You know, they have they have a problem. Who should they contact? And uh, so, you know, I'll I'll address that as well. And on that note, you know, it's not easy for somebody trying to find an attorney. You know, when the time, unfortunately, if the time arises where an individual needs one and they're faced with the justice system and they don't know where to begin you know nowadays everybody goes right on the internet and they'll start doing searches but you got to be careful with that you know I found out for myself when I was trying to secure counsel uh, for certain individuals you know you go to the internet you do searches but you know the internet's rough because you know you can get a lot of um, a lot of times it boils down to who's really good at marketing. You know, who's good at SEO? And when I mean SEO, that's just uh, a simple way of putting it. It's, you know, you just, you're able to, to utilize keywords on your site so you come up high in the rankings. You know, and a lot of times people will get impressed and they'll see certain websites, they'll see certain information, and they may, you know, be really impressed with the website and the marketing aspect of somebody's credentials and somebody's information. They'll contact that attorney and the presentation will go well, you know, will go well, and, and then things just don't work out, you know, for one reason or another. So it's really a hard, it's a hard um, specialized field to find an individual that suits your needs, you know. I think I speak for, I would say, 99% of the defendants out there, if not 100, when I say, if you want, Everybody, when they're looking for an attorney, I think what they want first and foremost is somebody who's going to fight for them tooth and nail, you know, somebody who's really going to work on the case, fight for them, uh, shoot them straight, not try, to, not try to pacify them just to make a quick buck. And what happens a lot of times, again, I've experienced it personally and I've had a lot of uh, listeners tell me about it, a lot of friends tell me about it, uh, a lot of clients tell me that, you know, during the presentation phase or the consultation phase, you know, everybody talks a good game. You know, that's one thing to tell somebody you're going to deliver all of these, you know, ways, you know, they'll promise you, you know, we can do this for the client, we can do this for you. Uh, yes, we're very experienced in this, you know, they could really give a a great consultation and you're sold on the consultation, you give the retainer, and now, you you know, you have this individual working with you or for you. And the reality is you really don't know somebody's work ethic and work capabilities until you start working on them, working with them. And a lot of times what I've noticed is a lot of defendants aren't really hands-on. Some are very hands-on. I I spoke to a few, and I know a few that are very hands-on. They're very involved in their case. They want to see everything. They want to see what's going on. They want to know schedules. They want to be part of the discovery. And for a lawyer or an attorney who's not up to par, that's almost like a nightmare for them. You know, because now you have somebody who's calling you every step of the way as far as making sure you're up to speed you're aware of certain facts, and I, I noticed, again, with certain attorneys personally, and I've had, you know, I've had uh, my share of where, you know, I would secure an attorney, not for myself, or, you know, uh, a family member, and, uh, you know, we would talk, and they're just not doing their job, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors, and I have no problem letting them go, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, a lot of people, they get them on, and then, uh you know, the, the negative part is you give them a retainer, and then you have a problem with, you know, trying to figure out, you, you let them go, then you got to try to, you know, it's a bit of a headache, you got to try to work something out, if the person's not a gentleman, and isn't an honorable, then they don't want to give you a retainer back, and it's a whole whoop do. But you got to look at the lesser of the two evils, you know, do you want to be stuck with somebody who, when you really, you know, pulled back the curtain, you saw that they don't, they're not backing up all the claims that they made during the consultation and they're full of a lot of hot air? Do you, do you want that representing you? Or do you want somebody who's really going to put in the work? Me and I think everybody else wants somebody who's going to put in the work. I mean, lawyers are not, you know, they're not cheap. Um, and if you get a good one, it's, it's money well spent. I mean, you have somebody, you have somebody working hard for you and I've met some great attorneys and quality attorneys, there's a lot, there's many in the profession that I feel are honorable people. They work hard. They care about the defendant. Uh, they care about the, uh, you know, the, the, the the case that they're handling and they're going to work for it. And that's all you you could ask. You know, you want them to have a high skill set, and you want them to devote what's needed to your case and you don't want them blowing it off. But unfortunately, there's the other side of that where you get the lawyers that it's all for the show. You know, they promise you that, but really what their goal is, they just want to get in, make a quick buck, usually plead the client out. You know, when they start off, and I'm sure a lot of people could relate to this. You know, a lot of defendants could relate to this. They start off all hot to trot, to go to trial or are going to trial. Uh, you know, we know you're innocent, it's a bad case. And then the next thing you know, some lawyers are trying to talk you into taking a deal. Now, I'm not saying, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying sometimes that a deal isn't necessary. And I've spoke about that on past episodes based on finances, based on the a risk of getting a, ju- a jury, which is, you know, not an unbiased jury, one that already has you guilty before innocent. Uh, if you're dealing with a, a bad judge, for lack of a better term, if you're dealing with the prosecutors that are able to really get away with things that normally they wouldn't get away with if you had a judge that was by the book. So those are all things you got to weigh. And I'm not saying a plea isn't a viable option. Unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, it's a case of weighing what's a worse result. You know, you have to take what's called, what I always say is the best of the worst. You know, sometimes you can only make a decision. What's the best of the worst of this situation? And then you got to make your decision based on that. But what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about that aspect. What, I, what I'm referring to is when you get a, uh, an attorney on and then, you know, you really don't see them doing anything. It's a lot of BS. They, they're talking a good game, you know, they, They'll and some attorneys, they really like to, you know, build up their own ego. And with anybody in life, an ego to me, it, it's a horrible trait, you know you're not impressing anybody, nobody cares about your ego, just do what you're hired for, do what you have to do, get the job done. It's really not impressive. If you have to go around saying how good you are and bragging, you're not that good. You know, your work product will speak for who you are. And it goes with the same with a person. Who you are as a person, your actions will speak for it, not you patting yourself on the back and talking about it. That That's, if anything, it wor- it works adversely. You know, it uh it's a it's a turn off to me anyway, and I feel a lot of people feel that way. You don't wanna hear somebody always bolster and bragging. It's just nonsense to me. Back it up, support it. And I met a lot of those type of people in my life, not just attorneys. Throughout business, throughout my personal life, a lot of braggers, a lot of people. But yet when you when you you know, when you break it down, they really haven't accomplished much, they haven't done a lot, and when it comes time to work, you know, it's the last thing they wanna do. They'd rather, uh, you know, I don't know what they'd rather do, but it's not working. So my point is, you know, defendants really have to take the time before you secure an attorney. And what's scary is a lot of times, you know, you're pressured, you know, you get arrested, you hit with the indictment, and you don't have much time to make a decision. You don't have really a lot of time to weed through the vast world of different, you know, attorneys and you don't have time to do your due diligence and inquire, and you know, one thing I would like to do, you know, if I had the time in the future, you know, when I'm asked to be part of a case, I'd like to call past clients, I'd like to do my research, just to get a feel of what this person was about, you know, sometimes you're under the gun, and you have to make quick decisions, and you just don't have the time for that, but in an ideal world, That's really what needs to be done. You got you gotta really talk to see the results, see what they've produced, see how long they've been practicing, see if they have a big gap in between cases. You know, if they have repeat clients or they have clients who got rid of them, because that's another good indicator. I mean, if somebody's good, you're gonna keep using them. If you get lawyers that are turning over clients and they're bouncing from client to client, and if you know, somebody unfortunately they may have you know, a few char- a few times that they were arrested, let's say, through the years. And if, if they have, you know, a different lawyer, that'll tell you something in itself. You know, why aren't they using that same guy? So you got to really ask these questions and inquire about it. And, and what bothers me with that whole realm, I don't like being uh, fooled, I guess you would say. I don't like when somebody, just in general, whether it's in that world, I, I don't like somebody telling me something... And then doing the complete opposite. You know, I'm the type of person, if I shake your hand and I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And if I can't do it, I'm going to be very honest with you and I'm going to say, listen, this is everything I did to try to accomplish what I promised you. It didn't happen, but I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to talk you through it. I'm not just going to keep trying to to bluff you and BS you. Either I can handle the task or I can't handle the task. And unfortunately, a lot of times you'll get attorneys that it's all talk. You know, it's no work, it's all talk. They'll tell everybody they're working all this time and working thousands of hours because, of course, they want to justify retainers and justify billings. But a smart defendant and a smart team will be able to track that. I mean, you want to see that. You want to see the work product. Show me what you've been writing. Show me what you've been investigating. Show me what parts of the discovery you opened and went through. You know, you can track it. It's not, you know, just uh, random thoughts that they have and they're writing down. That It all has to be tracked. The work product, you're able to look at and you're able to verify it. So for the defendants out there, just make sure you have a better, hand, a better handle on that because this is your life and you don't want to get into a situation where you're dealing with somebody who's just in it to make a quick uh, money grab, you know. You, you really want somebody who cares about the case. Somebody who's devoted and somebody who believes in it, you know. And they don't—they don't have to believe. I'm not getting into. I know a lot of attorneys. They—they feel they feel oh, their the clients guilty and this. I'm not getting into that. But believe in the case in the sense that you're going to work on it and you're going to do your best to give your client the best shot at a fair case, at a fair trial, and to give them the best defense you're capable of giving. It's like with anything else. You take on a job, you know. You, I always was raised, and I always believe you work at it 100%. You don't half-ass anything. You know, you don't give minimal effort. You don't give half-effort. You give it 100% or just don't even touch it. If you can't devote that time, don't touch it. You know, I've I've come across some lawyers, they'll try to take as many cases as they can, and just common sense would dictate they have all these cases. How are they going to devote the time needed to your case? You know, um... I'm a business owner, I own a couple businesses, and each one of my businesses, it's, it's a little bit different as far as the clientele, but one thing that my clients always know, and I've been able to build a pretty solid reputation, I mean, I have, uh, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I built a good uh, a good reputation, if you, you research certain things, you'll see it for yourself, but my point just is, whenever I told somebody I'm going to do something, I did it, and if I couldn't do it, I was upfront with them and told them I couldn't do it. And if I was going to try to do it and I wasn't sure of the outcome, I was up front. And that's the biggest problem just nowadays in general. People don't communicate. You know, if, you, if you're if you honest with somebody and you're open and you walk them through things and you keep them in the loop, people have to respect that because you're not lying to them. You keep, you're keeping them up, up to speed on everything. You're being honest with them. And you're putting in the time. And a lot of the, you know, unfortunately what happens is, some of these lawyers and you know speaking with friends, speaking with uh, even I've dealt with it personally. Uh, there was actually an article <laughs> written uh, in one of those one of those online blogs where they were talking about how I got rid of a few lawyers for my father's case. and I, and I own up to that. <clears throat> and the truth is, there was different reasons, but I just felt, you know I, I'm very hard to work with in this sense. If you're gonna try to BS me, and you're going to try to tell me things that aren't true that I could find out very easily whether you're doing your job or not, yeah, then you shouldn't work for anybody I care about. You shouldn't be part of my team because I'm going to call you on it every step of the way. If you work hard and you just look me in the eye and you tell me you're going to do what you said you're going to do and you're going to follow up on it, I'll be the most supportive partner and team member you can have. And that's really what my firm does. You know, when I'm not personally vested in it, you know, it, it it bothers me. Don't get me wrong, but I I have no say as far as who's part of the team and who's not. My firm's hired for a job. I do the job to the best as I could do it and my, my team could do it. And I try to support the defendant to the best way. And that's one advantage. You know, when I'm involved in a case, we, you know, I, I talk a lot to the defendants and I make sure everybody's on the same page. Sometimes lawyers get tied up, they're not able to update, so I make sure everybody's on the same page, so we're all working in unison, you know, we all know what's going on, and that that could be either the best friend of an individual, or it could be their worst nightmare, you know, it could be their enemy, depending on what they're trying to do. If they're trying to just make a quick money grab and not earn their money, then yeah, I'm going to be very difficult, and I'm going to probably be uh, one of your worst, uh, clients, quote unquote, or your worst uh, co-workers or your worst support system, whatever you want to call it. But if you're doing your job and we're working together in tandem like a well-oiled machine, you know, that that's what you got to go by. And, I, you know, I, time and again, I see defendants getting very frustrated. You know, they're dealing with the counsel that is You know, they promised them one thing, and then as things start moving along, they're realizing the service they're receiving and the level of competency that they're witnessing is not up to the standards that was represented upon initial consultation. And to me, there's no other way of painting that than, you know, you're trying to pull a wool over somebody's eyes. If you represent yourself at a consultation completely different than how you do when the work starts then that, you know, you're conning somebody. That's how I see it. I don't know how else you could see it. But, you know, you're basically putting on a con. Through the years, I've had clients with me in my other uh, business for 20 years, 15 years. And they they stay with me, not because I'm the cheapest company, not because because of service. It's all about service. When you're in a service industry... And anytime you're dealing with people, it's a form of service. When you're a lawyer, you're servicing the client. I know going back to my egos, a lot of times, you know, some of these attorneys forget that, that they're servicing the client. But that's the fact. The client's paying you. You're working for the client. So put the ego aside and get the job done. You're not that good if you have to constantly talk about how good you are. You know, if you have to brag how good you are, you're really not that good. Because just do your thing. If you're good, the results will tell that. You know, the decisions will t- tell that. But having to say it, that's, that's not going to fly. And, you know, I don't want to get into detail with specific with specific attorneys. I don't really operate that way. I don't go to, you know, I mean, one of the attorneys I was working with that I had to let go actually ran to a, an online blog and wanted to talk about what took place. And I just found that actually comical where I then had to write the blog And put the record straight because, unfortunately, there was a lot of BS. But, you know, that's again, I don't want to get into that. That's not my style. I don't do things like that. But one thing I will do that everyone should be aware of, I'm always going to address, if I do see BS at my expense or at my family's expense or at a defendant's expense that I'm hired uh, to service, if I see lies that take place at their expense, I'm definitely going to address it. And it may be against my better judgment. Sometimes people say, you know, you have to ignore things. That may be, but that's not my nature. It's just not. If I see somebody lying about facts or lying about, you know, uh, supposed deals that the defendant was offered that they were never offered, you know, you get a lot of crazy lies. To make themselves look good, they'll try to act like they had these crazy deals thrown their way just to put it out there, and, you know, the client didn't want to take the deal, but that was the deal I could have got them, none of the, you know, if I hear that kind of BS, I'm going to call it out, and I'm going to tell everybody I know that's an out-and-out lie, and I'll tell the person right to their face, because whoever, when I talk to somebody, I, I talk to them to their face the same way I'll tell, I'll tell it here on the podcast, I'll tell it to somebody asking me, you know, I don't, Say one thing one day and another thing another day. I say it how I have to say it, and I don't care who likes it, who don't like it, who agrees with it, who don't. That's the way I feel. I'm going to make it known. You know, some people need to be liked, and I don't. I'm not one of those people. I'm not. I don't need to be liked. I don't need pe- uh, Fortunately, I've built a so- I've built a solid friend base, professional base, family base, uh, on how I operate. And my core beliefs. And those are the people I want around me. I don't need to be liked, you know, by uh, individuals who don't agree with my philosophies and this. I, I couldn't care. Doesn't mean anything to me. But I will call you out on your BS. So when I do see lies and, you know, I've had a lot of interactions. I've never been on social media. And that may have been a mistake that I started getting. You know, I, I've i been on it for my business my, my different businesses I've always had like but I usually had my staff run that you know they'll run like the social media on the Justice Tech Pro side of it I actually took more of a handle on that because I was interested more in it you know I liked uh, uh, I, I, I just like that sometimes the technology aspect of it you know creating banners putting things up some promotional I like doing videos sometimes if people follow the social media they'll see videos I put up I like a lot of quotes um Sometimes quotes you know speak to me, and I just like to put that out there. So that's one I'm, I'm. I have more of a handle on. But the downside of social media, I tell you, you see a lot of nonsense going on. I mean, you see people the way they talk on social media. One's bragging more than the other. It's actually insane. Between the podcasts now, between the uh, Instagram accounts, it, it's like one big big bragging party. You know everything people supposedly did. Who's crazy? Who's not crazy? Who's you know? Uh, <laughs> who's uh, you know trying to turn over a new leaf, but yet talking about all the crazy things they were and how you know tough they were. I mean, it's it's an upside down world online, social media. And now I remind myself why I was never on it. You know they'll they'll have like social media wars. People going back and forth, posting things back... Uh, I mean, think about that. Grown men having social media wars. You have something to say to somebody. You sit down. You tell them what you got to say. Right, wrong, or indifferent, air it out face-to-face. You know, blog about it or post about it or do, you know, videos about... It. You know, I, I when I have something to say, I tell them directly. And the, and the, and the bad part is you have no choice sometimes. There was a, a couple of... Uh, Lies that I saw online where it affected, you know, um, case I was on or my father's case. And, and I addressed it directly. Now, was that the right move? I have no idea. And under whose eyes is it right or wrong? I, I really don't care. But like I said, if I see a lie taking place, I have to address it. Is it a character fault? Probably. Maybe. You know, um you know, it may be just uh, an unnecessary aggravation, but I don't know, I'm thick-skinned, those kind of things don't really aggravate me, I, it, it would aggravate me more not to address it, you know, it, it would aggravate me more just to allow that lie to go on, but there's a lot to keep up with, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles, because it's endless, I mean, the amount of nonsense that's out there on the internet, on the, it's it's endless, so, I don't go looking for it, but when I do see it or if somebody sends it to me, unfortunately that happens sometimes, somebody will send it to me because I'm not really active on those things, and then I have to address it because I just can't let a lie go, I got to address it with some facts. So, you know, just kind of wrapping this segment up, the defendants need to understand, they really need to, and and I've said this many times, and whether... You know, you're building a team for your defense, you're bringing a firm like my firm, or you're bringing another firm, whatever it is to build your defense, just make sure every party you bring in is going to earn the money you're paying them. You know, and even if you have, you know, if you have uh, assigned counsel, you know, you have an aide or you have legal aid, they're still getting paid. You know, and I know unfortunately, you know, you can't control it as much because you're not paying them, but you just want somebody to work hard. You know, you want somebody, when you're paying for your defense, especially when you're paying for your defense, you get to dictate who your team members are. So just make sure you choose wisely. You know, you want somebody who's really going to work for you. You want somebody who's going to be honest with you, upfront with you. And I touched last time, on the, you know, conduct in the courtroom and conduct, you know, when the defendant, you know, gets a little taken back if they see an overly friendly relationship between, you know, say the defense and the and the prosecutorial team. And I'm not saying, and I said this and I don't want to go back to it because I already discussed this, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, there shouldn't be professional courtesy. Absolutely. You know, you're you in there, but I think when you step into that courtroom, it's like almost like a battle arena, you know? And you're in there, and just just focus on your defendant, and let your defendant know that you're there to fight, and leave the politics for outside the courtroom. I mean, you know, negotiations could take place outside of the defendant's earshot, you know, and you could do, you know, have your conversations and maybe try to work on certain things. But in the courtroom, I I've spoken to families. Uh, And also personally, when you see it, it's a bit of a turnoff. I got to be honest, when you see that friendly banter back and forth and then all of a sudden, as soon as court is in session, you know, the other side is ripping the defendant to shreds, uh, sometimes stating lies, stating inaccuracies, falsities. And then, you know, you're sitting there and you see you have a flashback of 10 minutes earlier of your attorney, you know, buddy buddies with (laughs) with the individual. So it's just not a good look. So I would refrain from that, you know. And uh, a, a few positive things throughout this venture, you know, of Justice Tech Pros. I've met some very solid individuals, uh, some very solid attorneys. One specifically that I, that I personally highly recommend on both a personal level and a business level is his name is Anthony Pietro, and he's in White Plains, so if you look him up, you just got to put in Anthony DiPietro on White Plains. Uh, he's actually going to be on the podcast in the future. So we're going to have a good you know, conversation. You'll be able to get a feel of how he, um, his work ethic and what he does and what he focuses on and what he specializes on. But the guy really is aces. He's a workhorse. He's extremely well-versed, well-spoken, well-written. His paperwork's great. Is I've seen him cross-examine, did a phenomenal job, actually won, you know, uh, a huge count on my father's case based on his cross-examination. So he, he really is a, he's a phenomenal attorney, and I think it'll he'll be a great guest on the show. I think people will enjoy, you know, our uh, back and forth. We're, we're, you know, friends as well, so it should be a good, uh, uh, entertaining conversation for the listeners, and... Um, You know, I have a a couple other attorneys that I do recommend when I get certain emails. And again, you could feel free to email the show, you know, email the uh, podcast email. It's podcast at Justice Tech Pros. My staff will forward it to me. And, you know, sometimes I'm unable, honestly, to recommend anybody because of your location. So I I appreciate you reaching out. But, you know, I, I always try to at least talk to my network and try to make a positive match and... And go from there. And when I give a recommendation, it's because I believe in it. You know, I don't just give recommendations. I don't get nothing for recommendations. I don't get finders fees, referral fees. I don't get anything like that. There's no agenda to it. There's nothing behind it. I just do it to make sure whoever's calling me, whoever has the trust to put into me, I'm going to do my best to make sure whoever I do recommend is somebody that I personally would use if I ever had to. Or somebody I would want a family member to use. You know that's how I try to gauge my recommendations. So um, that's pretty much it on that that segment and what I wanted to touch on. And I think the moral of the story with that portion is, you know, just make sure you're involved in your case and make sure if you have the time and you're not really pressed for time to hire an attorney. Please do your due diligence. You know, talk to past clients. That's a huge indicator. You know, look at the, don't just go by their website. The website, you know, know, websites are great, but anybody can make a website. I mean, as I said earlier, I'm very tech savvy. You could go to GoDaddy. You could buy the domain name. You can make a nice website. You know, you got to do a little research and talking to people, pulling a few cases, you know, pull their motions. That's another good indicator. You could pull their motions, see their written works. See what they submitted to the judge. You get a good feel of their style, how they argue a case. You could even uh, get a transcript of a hearing. You know, see their uh, cross-examination. See how they performed in the courtroom. If you have the time and you have the ability, I, I highly recommend really devoting the time necessary before you make the decision to hire somebody. Just make sure they're, they're what you need, and um, they're going to perform as they promised. It's vital because too many times I see defendants getting stuck with somebody and they're just not happy. And it's hard, you know. Really, is a hard situation to be in because if you know you're tapped out financially, they really have you. You know, they got you in a bad position. You're stuck with them and you got to deal with them. And it's a decision that could potentially affect your life dramatically. So it's just very important and try to try to make sure that you exhaust all efforts. When you are performing your backgrounds and you are performing your investigative work to bring on somebody to defend you, just try to exhaust every avenue. Another uh, genre that I wanted to hit on is, you know, people talk about discrimination uh, in the system, and it does exist on many levels, whether it's your skin color or You know, I've spoken about that many times. But what people don't realize is a huge discrimination that a lot of people don't care about because they have the mentality, which isn't how the law works, mind you, but they have the mentality, the general public, and they're, they're part of this problem. They have the mentality that if you have a label, whether it's an organized crime label or whatever kind of label you want to give somebody, if you're not guilty of the crimes you're charged with, you're guilty of something. So when somebody has that in their head, that's a dangerous combination in the justice system and I've experienced it on a different level uh, to get into a little bit of what I'm talking about and I believe I touched on this a bit in the past but you know they have sometimes when you're you're on a case you'll look for support from different organizations there's a lot of organizations out there Um, there's organizations, you know, for rights, there's organizations for justice, there's a ton, which is a great thing. There's a lot of them, but I'll tell you one thing I noticed, I tried contacting a lot of these organizations, uh, throughout the trial for support and to have them actually review certain things. And just to look at certain things, because I knew what I was witnessing was not how the law should work. And I knew something was wrong. And I just wanted somebody much more educated and more versed than myself to look at it and I know they're part of the panel, just to see if there was anything there. All of these organizations pretty much blew me off. Now, I'm not stupid. The The reasons were were good and justified of what I was giving them. I mean, they were, they were important constitutional reasons. But... I know why they were blowing it off. Whenever something has an organized crime labeled to a case, this had to do with my father's case where I was looking for certain support from different organizations. And Every email I sent, there was always an excuse or something. Not one took it on. And again, this wasn't grasping at straws issues. These were legitimate constitutional issues that I just wanted And it wasn't even for me, it was for part of the team, you know, general counsel wanted it as well. I was just the intermediary reaching out to try to see who would take an interest. And we got a few who gave us lip service where, yeah, we're going to, but nothing ever panned out. And I'm just telling you, one of the biggest discriminations that take place is if somebody has that, that label attached to them. These organizations that are supposed to be for justice supposed to be for what's written in the constitution, supposed to be for what's right and all that. They don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Now, how does that make sense? It all goes back to my theory of, you know, how, not my theory, my want, I should say, for the image of Lady Justice being blind to actually mean something. And when these things take, take place, it just proves the point that she's far from blind. And individuals involved, they have a hard time separating that. You know, they may feel a certain way about a defendant or about what they read in newspapers, and they don't want to touch it. Rather than take the time to look at the facts, to look if there was a constitutional problem, to field the cause, to, to analyze it, you know, they pass. And then you see them take these other case, you know, cases and offer amicus briefs and opinions that are su- such weaker situations, that aren't as strong, that aren't such a strong, important, and vital issue that could actually set precedent. I mean, some of the issues we were raising, and obviously now at the appeal level, we're going to raise them. But some of these issues that were being raised prior, because I was trying to stay a, a little bit ahead of the curve, are serious constitutional issues that could have sent some kind of precedent if they dove into them to get clarification. And they wouldn't touch it. And again, I'm not stupid. I know why they wouldn't touch it. You know, they'll say whatever they want. They'll come up with excuses. But those are the facts. And the public needs to understand, regardless of your bias, it's it is a form of discrimination. I know you don't want to believe it is, and some people just feel, well, if they have that label, they're guilty. You can't think that way. If you want to live in a system where everybody's entitled to a fair trial, you can't think that way. You know, what's written on the Supreme Court building is equal justice under the law. People need to understand that. And that's even better than innocent to proven guilty. It's equal justice under the law. You just simply want... It doesn't say anything about equal justice as long as you don't have a title... Equal justice as long as you're not accused of being in some kind of group or enterprise. It doesn't say that. It's a very generalized statement of equal justice under law. And a defendant just simply wants to receive that. And every defendant's entitled to receive that. And when you get stripped of that, simply because of a label or a title, there's a problem. And a lot of citizens don't see that because they're not, you know, they look at it, well, I don't have that problem, so it doesn't affect me. You know, um, somebody shouldn't be a member of an organization if they don't want to have that problem. And again, they should realize it's not illegal. Even if you want to accuse somebody of being, and I spoke about this, it's not illegal to be a member of whatever organization somebody's being accused of being a member of. That's not illegal. But the common citizen don't want to understand that or, or or grasp it or they're not aware of it. And the public needs to be aware of it. That is not a crime. You still have to commit a crime. You could be part of these suppo—you know, these organizations that they're trying to say you're a part of, but yeah, it's not illegal to do that. So for somebody to not even evaluate a case, not even evaluate legitimate constitutional errors or concerns and i'm not even saying whether i was right or wrong we're going to find that out now at the appeal level but to not even evaluate it and devote the time and what's funny is how i knew the reason why they define they denied it was related to the uh you know the um genre of the case was because initially i would be a little vague when I would explain it and I would just focus on the issue. I would say there's a defendant, this is the issue going on. And they were all very intrigued at inception. You know, they would all email me back, well, that's a great issue. That does sound like something that's a problem. That does sound like a constitutional issue. Then once I sent, you know, the, uh, or I should say I had the attorney send the actual case information with the docket and with the uh, defendant's names, That's when you didn't get return emails, or you got excuse emails, or you got lip service. So what does that tell you? Anyone with half a brain would realize, well, why would they be so interested before all of this information was divulged? It's not like the facts changed. They had an overview of what the problem was, or what the clarification was we were trying to receive. And I think, honestly, that disturbed me more on some level, than not getting a fair trial from the judge. And I'll tell you why. If you're faced with a judge that just doesn't want to give you a fair trial, that's one individual, you know, it's hard to overcome if they have their mind made up. It's hard. When you're dealing with these organizations, you're dealing with panels, you're dealing with board members, you're dealing with a diverse range of personalities, diverse range of education, diverse range of views, So that tells me that the majority knocked these things down based on not wanting to touch anything related to a specific genre that they, for some reason, just didn't want to touch. Now, how do you get somebody a fair trial when these organizations that are supposed to be for the people, defending people, making sure that there is equal justice under law, If you have organizations on that level, not giving somebody the benefit of the doubt and at least reviewing it, I would much rather, honestly, I'm a very rational individual, I would much rather they review it and say, you know what, this is a non-issue. There is no constitutional problem here. There is no uh, error. Uh, You don't really have an issue. I would much rather have gotten an email like that than get blown off and just be like, Oh, we don't have the time. I don't know. It was all ridiculous excuses. I don't remember. But it was nothing viable. It was nothing legitimate. So that's why, you know, they, they kind of tipped their hat to exactly the, the reasoning and the rationale of why they, not, they didn't even want to touch it. And I think that that disturbed me more. Because these are organizations that market, promote, they brand themselves, how they're for the people, they're for justice, you know, that all they want to do is get justice. They want to make sure that the Constitution's followed. All of these great keywords, all of these great taglines to bring the, the public in, to get uh, support, to get membership. And then when the time comes to help somebody that needs the help on valid, specific constitutional problems, they don't want to touch it. And why don't they want to touch it? They could paint it any color they want, but the bottom line is they're discriminating. They're discriminating because they don't want to touch it because there's a label associated with the defendant. And that's, that's the facts right there. I mean, I have the emails to show the exact... I, I could show no exaggeration if I'm not mistaken. I believe I contacted over 20 different organizations... I've even contacted a ton of law professors and this. And I've had some that were, you know, law professors, a few actually did um, respond back and, and, uh, you know, give me some insight. But I wanted to kind of, again, when you're going for an amicus brief, you want an organization, you know, rather than an individual sometimes. So that was really uh, more what I was looking for. But the organization's not one. Not one would at least sit with the team evaluate and tell us if we had a legitimate issue. And these were issues that, I mean, put it this way, it stumped all of the, you know, we had a lot of attorneys because all the uh, defendants, we'd have defendant meetings, so all of the attorneys involved, none of them could really answer some of these issues. So these were legitimate issues, whereas we needed clear clarification and guidance. So there was obviously something there. And at the level of the organizations, they wouldn't touch it. And why wouldn't they touch it? Because the bottom line is they were discriminating against the defendants. They would not touch a case that had any kind of label. Now, how is somebody supposed to get a fair trial when these organizations, who are supposed to be for the people, for justice, making sure that justice is given equally, given to all citizens? How is someone supposed to get a fair trial when that's what they're up against on a level of organizational format and organizational reviews. If they're hitting discrimination on that level, don't you think they're going to hit it on the jury level? And that's a problem. You know, people can't have that mentality. Well, if they're not guilty of this, they're guilty of something. Okay, you could believe that. You know, I'm not saying that's not your right to believe that. You could believe that, but if you believe in the law and you believe in the constitution, you have to apply it. You have to make sure that the charges that somebody is being faced with is what they're guilty of. That's what you have to make sure of. You can't just lump it all together and say, well, they may have did whatever in the past, so even though they're not guilty of this charge, we you know, we can find them guilty in good conscience. No, you can't. You're not doing your job, and that's dangerous. It's setting a nasty tone for the future. It's setting a very dangerous tone for people, because if that's how it starts going, just think about the ramifications of that. People could start getting indicted bec- under, you know, the belief that they're not a good person. And they'll just get indicted with charges and they'll start getting found guilty because, well, we don't think they're a good person. Even though they didn't commit these crimes, we're going to find them guilty. I mean, the logic is insane. And when you look at it like that, it doesn't make any sense. And people understand that. But for some reason, there's this uh, this internal rationale that some people have that they feel, well, you know that that's you know if they want to be part of an of this uh enterprise that's something they got, they signed up for they're going to be found guilty of it okay no how about be found guilty of a crime you actually committed that's the key you got to find somebody guilty for something they actually did and that's where the disconnect is and uh i think i think i uh, covered it as much as i as i wanted to i just really wanted to talk to the uh talk to you guys about those two things, and, um, I guess just kind of evaluate it a little bit, even kick it around. When I speak about these things out loud, it even gets me going, you know, because I start to get, uh, some ideas about it, and, uh, I just, I I like to express it into the microphone and into the listeners. On another note, uh, originally I was going to be on the Frank Marano show, um, Tuesday morning, I mean, you can see I'm a night owl too, I think it's like, it's like 2.40 a.m. now, but he has a night show, it's called The Other Side of Midnight, and I'm going to be on actually Monday now, we changed it to Monday, which I believe is the 19th, yes, Monday the 19th, between 1 and 5 a.m., a lot of people aren't up, but I'll uh, I'll repost, I'll repost it, and um, if nothing else, just tune into his show, if you're up, you can't sleep, it's a good show. It's on uh, 770 WABC. And uh, Frank's a real good guy. Every time I'm on, we have a, a good conversation. I think it flows pretty well. And uh, we have a good discussion. So I'm looking forward to that. So again, it's uh, the the 19th on the Frank Marano Show, The Other Side of Midnight. And that's it. I appreciate the listeners. I mean, the listeners keep growing. And, uh, you know, I think, um, again, like I always say, I don't know how much longer... Right now, I'm on a roll, so I'm not burning out anytime soon. I I still got a lot of things to say. Maybe one day I'll have enough. And when I'm bored and it's 2 in the morning, the best way to deal with it is sometimes talking to the microphone. So that's what I'm going to keep doing until, uh, until I don't. That's it for now. Until next time.